Let's take our Bibles, please, turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 tonight, and as I've been doing all this year, we've just been taking one thing and talking about that at the Lord's table and different elements, sometimes once the bread, once the cup, his blood, his body. Tonight, I want to talk about his time in the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark chapter 14, it falls right in line with our study through the book of Mark this year. And so we'll just take these few verses, verses 32 to 42, Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Read with me. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. While I, while I shall pray. If you'll jump back to verse 26, you'll notice that as they left the Lord's the Last Supper, if you will, the Lord's Table. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I was privileged to teach a Sunday school class this morning. We were talking about the Mount of Olives a little bit and the Garden of Gethsemane in relation to it. The Mount of Olives sits adjacent to the city of Jerusalem. And from there, you can see the Dome of the Rock and you can see the Temple Mount and you can see all the white sepulchers. Remember that, Paul? It overwhelmed me to see all the, as Jesus would preach on those hillsides and talk about the whited sepulchers but full of dead men's bones. The Bible came to life as we pictured all of that. But as you travel just down a little bit, a path from the Mount of Olives, you come to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was also olive trees. Gethsemane is just simply an oil press. There are lots of Garden Gethsemanes in Israel, actually. But the one that Jesus most famously referred to was this one here that he would retreat to and pray. And they still have an olive press there, I suppose, uh, for demonstration for tourists and such. And a large press that would press out the, the, the olives and make olive oil. And, uh, but it was there that the Lord Jesus Christ would retreat and spend time in prayer. And so the Bible says that he went from this place called the Mount of Olives and no doubt once again viewing Jerusalem representative of the people of Israel, seeing the Temple Mount, knowing that's where the very presence of his father met with his people. And there he traveled down a short path, and the Bible says, and they came to a place, verse 32, which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless not what what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. I saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he had returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, sleep on now. And take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Let's pray together. Father, help us, Lord, we pray. 
And Father, speak to our hearts in these just few moments before we take of these elements tonight to remind us of what Christ has done for us. But Lord, may our hearts and our minds be full of those thoughts even now. Father, for that is the purpose of this table, to gather in your presence, to remember your sacrifice, and Lord, to give thanks for all that you have done for us. And so bless us, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. If we could, for just a few moments, I'd like to look at this snapshot, if you will. If we were to read a little bit further, we'd find that Judas would enter the garden and he would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was last month's lesson as we looked at the Lord's table, his betrayal. But I want you to think for a few moments tonight as we talk about the Lord coming to Gethsemane. Gethsemane was his favorite place to pray. I feel probably because since we were there, we noticed that you can see the city of Jerusalem, and especially the Temple Mount. It was there that the Lord Jesus Christ would perform his greatest ministry, of course, dying on the cross of Calvary. And so from the Mount of Olives, he could pray for his people, Israel. And he could pray for those that he loved so deeply and wanted to save. And so there he would retreat. There's another place, I believe it's in John chapter eight, and I believe it's just John chapter eight, verse one, where just in passing it says, and he retreated to the garden for the evening. In the midst of a busy time of ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ would just slip off to the garden to pray. It doesn't say that he prayed, but we know that's why he went there, was to get alone with his father and to spend some time with God. And, yes. and so we can learn from some of those things tonight. So I want you to notice in Mark chapter 14, we're just going to notice three things. First of all, I want you to notice his prayer. Notice his prayer, and we'll just make some short comments about these first two points, and then we'll talk about the third a little bit more in depth. But as we think about his prayer, we notice, first of all, the solitude. In verse 30, uh, sorry, I got my page turned here. In verse uh, 31, I believe, I'm, I'm mixed up here. Verse 31, or verse 32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, notice what he says, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And then he saith unto them, verse 34, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went a little forward or forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that it were possible the hour might pass from him. A lot is to be said about gathering together for prayer, and we, we enjoy doing that, don't we? Just a week or so ago, we had a men's prayer breakfast, and we gather here on Saturday nights and pray, and on Wednesday nights and pray, and the men have a prayer group on Fridays, and different times throughout the week, people gather together to pray. But the Lord said there, there's a time also when we need to be alone. And he brought the 12 to the garden with him, but he asked nine of them to sit and wait. Three more would go a little bit further, and he says, now you sit here and watch. And the Bible says he went a little bit further in the garden, and he fell upon his face, and he prayed to the Father. The Bible says he cried out, Abba, Father. That's a very personal term. Abba is the word like daddy. It's a term of endearment. It's a personal term. You know, everybody has those personal things, don't they? Especially for grandparents, I'm finding. And so we have a grandson, Bowden, and his... Mom is, is, my wife is grandma and I'm grandpa, but on the other side, it's Ukrainian. So it's, is it Baba? Baba? And what's, what's? Kido and Baba, okay. And so there's different names, isn't there? My parents were always Nana and Papa to our kids. 
And so we have different names for different people. So there's a term of endearment. There's a personality that comes out in that, and it's very personal. And so as Jesus came to his father and said, Abba, Father, that was not for the 13 of them together. It was for just the one that the Lord Jesus Christ would have that personal time. But as I thought further about that, nobody else in that group, nobody else in that group knew what Jesus was going through. He had told them many times that he would go to Jerusalem and die, but they couldn't have possibly grasped the suffering he was about to partake in. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until he rose from the dead that the Bible says that they all of a sudden the light came on and they understood what he said. And so they couldn't have possibly prayed effectively. They might have prayed something like, Lord or Father, help Jesus Christ through this hour. Help him to go through this time. We know that one will betray and we know another will deny, but we don't really understand exactly what's going on this night. So just give him grace. Isn't that how we often pray? Lord, we pray for your mercy upon them. We pray for your grace. And perhaps they would have prayed something like that, but only Jesus knew the severity of the night. And so he wanted to be alone with his father and prayed in solitude. You know, it's wonderful, and I just take this short principle, it's wonderful to share prayer requests. Bible says bear one another's burden, but can I encourage you, if God burdens you about something, nobody will pray about it like you will. So take it to the Lord. The Bible says he was burdened. And then we see not only his solitude, we see his surrender in prayer. In verse 36, the scripture says, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless not what I will, but what thou wilt. I would suggest to you that every single time we pray, it ought to be from a position of surrender. It's from a position of surrender. We are like the enemy combatant on our knees begging for mercy. Help us. We throw ourselves at your feet. With our hat in hand, we have nothing to offer. And so here's what I would ask for, and here's what I would plead for, and here's what I would beg for, but I'm at your mercy, and I'll take whatever you give me. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed just that, didn't he? He made his heart known unto his Father that if it were possible to let this cup pass from him and let this hour go away, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We should always pray from a place of surrender. But then we see, secondly, not just his prayer, I want you to see his persistence. In verse 41, it says, He cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Is enough, the hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed under the hands of sinners. If we were to rehash the scriptures, we would find the Lord Jesus Christ went into the garden to pray and returned and found the disciples sleeping. And he said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? And he went off a second time and he prayed again. And when he came back, he found them sleeping again. And so he went away the third time and he prayed the same words, it says. But three times it impresses upon my heart that he went and kept praying for the same thing. And the Bible says he used the same words. He prayed the same thing over. I wonder sometimes how often we just pray and just let it go. We pray once or twice. There There are times where we need to learn how to pray and just give things to God. But then there's also times we need to pray through a situation. And this is certainly one of those situations Jesus wanted to pray through. And so again and again, he would ask the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but it, to me, it makes his plight a little more pitiful to think that he went back three times and begged his father, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. 
let this cup pass from me. Please take this hour from me. Please take this hour from me. Please take this hour from me. And each time his father in heaven with broken heart, listening to the pleas of his son, and yet thankful that he would say, I surrender to whatever your will is. So we see his persistence. But I want you to notice tonight, and and what we're focusing on for a few moments, is his passion. His passion. You know, we often consider his passion as the physical stress placed upon his body, don't we? If we were to, uh, years ago they made a movie, I've never seen the movie, called The Passion of the Christ. And I hear it's a horrific scene. That it's, it's a brutal depiction of what happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't know much about the movie. I understand it's very Catholic in some of its doctrines and things. But we've all seen those, those pictures of Christ, haven't we? We've all seen the, the images of the crucifixion. We've had uh, even, I, I've shared a video in church where a medical doctor tries to explain the different parts of the crucifixion and what happens uh, during suffocation and the, and the blood draining from the body and the sanguination and all the rest and, and the pain and the anguish that it covers. And we, and we often think about the passion of Christ from the moment he felt the first whip. But I want to suggest to you that his passion started long before that. It started in the garden. And and in the argument could be made, it started even before that. Perhaps it started the first time Jesus Christ as man became aware that he was headed to a cross. But the Bible says, if you'll notice, just three phrases with me. In verse 33, it says, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, sore amazed. Now I understand that the Bible we have in our hands tonight is some 412 years old. And so sore amazed might mean something a little bit different back then than it does now. When I use the word amazed, I I often think of something that just astounds me. You know, I've seen some things in this life that I would say are amazing, Niagara Falls is the amazing handiwork of God. Yeah. And we see, we see things all the time that are just incredible to see and they, they, they make us stand in awe, if you will. The word sore amazed in the scriptures here literally means thrown into terror. Thrown into terror. You think about that. He said, well, come on, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't afraid, was he? Why not? There was times he was heartbroken. There was times he sorrowed at the tomb of Lazarus. We like to think of Jesus as 100% God, and he was, but he was also 100% man. And if you were facing what he faced, you'd be terrified too. If the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't afraid of what was about to happen, he would have never come to this place and asked for strength. He would have never asked for it to be removed from him in the first place. If it was something that is as simple as a a trip to the doctor or a trip to the dentist, he would have just simply said, Lord, take care of me, and on he would have went. But the Bible says he fell upon his face and he laid there on the ground prostrate before God three different times. And the Bible says he was sore amazed or he was thrown into terror. Luke chapter 22, verse 44, puts it this way. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
you think you had a stressful day. Nobody was as stressed as the Lord Jesus Christ on that moment as he was sore amazed. Then the scripture says in that very same verse, he, would be, he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. I use that phrase sometimes, heavy. And what I mean by that is I find that sometimes before I preach, I, I get a heavy feeling. I don't know what that is. It's just there's kind of a, a responsibility thing that comes up on, and I just feel heavy in my spirit. I just feel like I, I don't want to let the Lord down, and I need to pray about this more, and I need to, you know, I, I always say a sermon's never ready until you preach it because it feels like you're always thinking and you're seeing the crowd and you're praying and you're reading the scriptures and sometimes the Lord is dealing with your heart and I feel heavy, but I'll, I'll never think that way again after I see how the Lord used it. The heaviness of spirit that we feel or the heaviness of sorrow that we feel is nothing compared to what the Lord felt when he said, I am very heavy. It means literally to be in great distress or anguish. Distress or anguish. I tried to find out a little bit more about the word anguish. We, we, we don't use that word a lot anymore. We might say, well, I, I feel sorrow. I feel grief. I looked up the word anguish, and literally in the English language, it is the strongest word we can use for a distraught spirit. To say you're sorrowful means maybe you're heartbroken or you're grieving. To say you have grief means that you're suffering some sort of pain. But to say you have anguish means that you are leaning even unto death. That the burden is too great to bear. So when the Lord said, I, of, I'm sore amazed and I'm very heavy, it meant that he had a great anguish placed upon him that night. And then we see one more in verse 34, the next verse. And he saith unto them, this is before he goes to pray, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Now we take it another step. The, the phrase exceeding sorrowful in the Greek literally means overcome with sorrow so much as to cause one's death. Did you know that you can be in such a place of despair you can literally die from it? That's what this word means. And, and the scripture says so much, doesn't it, in verse 34? It tells us, he says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. He wasn't speaking of the death that he would suffer in a few hours. He was speaking about that moment of sorrow. I mean, he was sweating blood. The very capillaries in his, in his forehead were bursting. He was in so much anguish and coming out with sweat drops of blood. And he says even so that he is sorrowful unto death. You ever heard the expression, they died of a broken heart? That's literally what this is. It's a known scientific thing that takes place every once in a while. Years ago, we had a couple in our church, and uh, Pat and Pat Mapafu and, and uh, his, uh, his wife, and uh, they, they were working in, he was a diesel mechanic and she was a PSW. And she would, uh, they were from uh, Zimbabwe, Africa. And uh, Pat was the short name. I can't even say the long name. 
Pat was just the middle three letters of a name about that long. And uh, so she was serving as PSW, and she had a couple folks that, uh, that she would go and sit with at night and take care of. And I believe he was, she was 101 years old, and I believe he was 102. Is that right, hon? Do you remember these folks? So he was, she was 101, and she was 102. She died on a Sunday night, and he died eight hours later. And everybody said they died of a, he died of a broken heart. They were living at home. They were relatively healthy for their age. And just hours after she passed away, with such sorrow, he died. Having been married almost 80 years. Incredible. But that's a real thing. It's very rare. But the Lord Jesus Christ said that night, he was, it was almost like he was saying, if I don't go talk to my father right now, I'm gonna die from the sorrow that I'm under. I have to give this burden to God. I have to share it with him. So as we think about his passion tonight, his suffering, it doesn't start with Calvary. It doesn't start with the whips. It starts just with the heaviness and the sorrow of his heart. I often wonder, and I'll just throw this out there and you can think about it and you can decide what you want. What was the greatest point of suffering? I think when his father said, I can't look upon it. Because he bore my sin, he said, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? But I wonder, maybe you have a different answer, but whatever it is, would you think about that tonight as we come to the Lord's table? Let's bow our heads and ask God to bless this time together that he might move in our hearts and that he might be honored by our remembrance of him. Pastor Paul, would you lead us in prayer, please?